why don't we ask the Lord to speak to us. Let's pray. Lord, just as you spoke to Samuel so clearly, we would ask that you would speak to us just as clearly tonight. And Lord, just as Samuel eventually perceived that it was from you, that that we would perceive you speaking to us tonight as you speak to us from this part of the Bible. But Lord, speak, we do pray. We do long to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Whenever you read the beginning of 1 Samuel, it's a bit like having deja vu. I do not know what causes deja vu. It's one of those strange things, but have you ever had it? You've all had deja vu. You know, where you're going through something like, I've seen this before. I've experienced this before. And when you read the beginning of 1 Samuel, it's exactly like that. Because what you have at the beginning is a, 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 a man with two wives. And one of them has a lot of children. And the other one is barren. And she's hurt and she's distraught by it. And then what you have is you have this woman praying. And, and you have the Lord graciously giving her a child. So we've seen that before, haven't we? We, we saw it with, with Sarah and with Hagar. And we saw it with Rachel and with Leah. And, and we've seen it even with Manoah in, in back in Judges. Now, we don't actually get his wife's name, but she was barren. And then the Lord, we're told, opened up her womb that she could have a child. And every time that we see this kind of miraculous conception in the Bible, not, not, not your kind of average conception, but whenever we see this miraculous type of conception where the Lord is, is clearly doing something special, then we know that that person is someone we need to watch, someone who, who's made to be very significant. And here, the, the person significant who is born is a man called Samuel. And Samuel, what does that mean? That name means God heard. And that's why Hannah called her boy this name, because she went to the temple and she, she poured out her soul. She emptied her heart. She, she was distressed and she cried unto the Lord pouring out her soul. And so whenever this little baby is born, she calls him Samuel because God had heard her cry. But whenever Hannah was praying this prayer, when she was praying for this boy, when she was praying for a son, she made a promise to God. And she says, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him to you in service. We've seen that before. Did you see what she said? A a razor shall not touch his head. Do you remember the last person whose razor didn't touch his head? Samuel Samson, a Nazarite, someone who was set aside, a holy one set aside to serve the Lord. And Hannah says, Lord, if, if you give me a son, I'll give him to you to serve you all the days of his life. And so we're told that whenever the boy was weaned, now in our Western society, children are weaned pretty young, but in the ancient world, it was a lot longer. He probably wasn't three or four. He was probably more like five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten. He was an older boy, slightly older. But you can imagine her bringing him up to the temple and, and him going in and, and, and him being set aside for the service of the Lord. As Westerners live in 2,000 years later, we kind of think that the mother would feel a real sense of separation and sadness and all that stuff, which I'm sure she did, but she would have also felt such pride. Her son was going to be used in the service of the Lord. And as he grows up in the temple, he serves the Lord. We're told he he wears an ephod. We're told that he, he wears the linen garment. He's one of the priests. He serves in the temple of the Lord. And we don't know exactly what he did. 
but he was used by God there. And everything that we read about Samuel in these opening chapters, it's, it's all positive. We're talking the whole day, he's, he's growing, that he's developing, that he's growing in his understanding, that he's, he's developing, and, and it's all very positive. But there's two other lads mentioned in these opening chapters. And what is said about them is nothing positive. There, there's nothing positive in it. You see, the, the main man, the, the, I guess the, the chief of the temple, the chief priest, if you like, is a man called Eli. And he has two sons. And, and because they're his descendants, they're in the family business. They've been employed as priests as well. That's how it worked. It was through family lines that priests were brought into the service at the temple. And so he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And what the text tells us is that these were worthless men. They were in this privileged position, but they didn't care anything for it. They were there to serve the Lord, but they didn't care about serving Him. They didn't care about doing things diligently or the way He told them to do it. Things like, for example, the offerings. A a, a lamb was meant to be slaughtered and then the the meat was meant to be put on the fire and it was meant to be roasted. And only after the offering had been given would portions of meat been given, some to the priest, some to the people who made the offering, and some would be left. But these guys, what did they do? Before the meat was even cooked, they wanted their share. They wanted their share before it had been offered to the Lord. They wanted it offered to themselves first. And then if meat was boiling, they'd go and they'd take more than they deserved, more than they should have taken. And then the women who who served at the temple entrance, well, they slept around with these women. That's what used to happen in the pagan temples. The priests would sleep with the temple prostitutes to please the gods. So they basically introduced paganism into the temple of the living God, the, the, the tent of the living God up at Shiloh. They were worthless men. Men who were priests by name and by inheritance but not in heart and not in devotion like Samuel was. And something very stark happens. One night, we're told, a man of God appeared to Eli. And what did he say to Eli? He says, your days and the days of your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are coming to an end. They have treated me with contempt They have despised my ways and they're going to die and everyone in your house will die apart from one, one who I will raise up to be a faithful priest. And we know who that is, don't we? We already know who that's going to be. We know who that one is in the household who's going to be saved. But what a message. What a message. And so that's the background to, to, to chapter 3. That's what happened so far. That's, the, I guess, the household that, that we're looking at, this little household of faith where we've got Samuel, the man of faith, and then we've got these other two worthless men. And as we come to, to chapter 3, it's really interesting here because chapter 3 is about God speaking to, to, to Samuel and calling him to be a prophet, and we know that. Okay, So we, we know that. We see it happening here. But chapter 3 is also here really to tell us about the word of the Lord. 
if you have a look at the very start of chapter 3, um, you'll see there that it says in verse uh, 1, uh, now, the word of, now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So we've got the word of the Lord at the very start of the chapter. And then if you have a look at the last verse of the chapter, you'll see the word of the Lord repeated again. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so this chapter, chapter 3, is really here, yes, to tell us how Samuel came to be a prophet, but it's also here to tell us about the word of the Lord. It's here to tell us about God's word. And there's a number of things, and they're on your handout there, that I want us to, to focus on tonight that we see in this passage about the word of the Lord. And as I said in the beginning of my prayer tonight, my hope is that as we see what this passage says about the word of the Lord, that we would grow in our hunger for it, that we would grow in our desire for it, that we would grow to be a people who, who just want God's word in our life and in our mind and in our hearts. And so the first thing we see from, from this chapter is that in these days, remember this is the end of the judges period where everyone did right in their own eyes. In these days, the word of the Lord was rare. We see the rarity of the word of the Lord here. Have a look at verse 1. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. What does that mean? It means that in these days of the judges, God in his judgment had decided not to speak very much. God in his judgment upon the people had decided not to make his will known, not to speak words of encouragement. His word was rare and it was a sign of his judgment. And we also know then that these days if the word of the Lord was rare, it also means that the scriptures were not being read because they had the, the Torah by this stage. Moses was long gone by this point in time. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law of the Lord, the Pentateuch, they had it in their possession. They had the sacred writings. And if the word of the Lord was rare in those days, it also means that they weren't opening up the scriptures anymore. Everyone was doing right in their own eyes. They weren't looking to see what the Lord wanted them to do, how he wanted them to live. So the word of the Lord it was rare. And folks, I don't know if you realize it, but you see throughout the history of the church, in some ways, it's been a rare thing to have the word of the Lord. In some ways, it has been a really rare thing to have God's word as we have it today. In the early church, some of them just had one letter maybe written by the apostle Paul to them. They maybe had some fragments of the Torah. They maybe had some of the writings, but they didn't have what we have today. 66 books all authored by God for us. And then you go into the rest of church history and you get into the, the, the dominance of the Roman Catholic Church. And within the Roman Catholic Church, the word of the God was set aside for the sacraments. It wasn't read as much. It wasn't preached properly. It was chained to pulpits so that ordinary people could not come and look at it. Only the priest 
and very often it was only written in Latin. I don't know if you recognize this, but it's only since the Protestant Reformation and the printing press that we have such amazing access to God's Word. Have you really considered that? What we have here is is a treasure that people would have loved to have had and never did. But one of the things that I find quite frightening today is that even though we have the Word of God, we've got it on our phones, we've got it online, we've got it in our language, we've got it everywhere we want it, it's starting again to become rare. You can go to churches nowadays and they won't read from the Scriptures. They certainly won't read three chapters like we've done tonight. You can go to churches today and, and, and the sermon, it won't be what the scriptures are saying. It'll be just what someone at the front has decided to speak on that night. And even as Christians in our own personal lives, I get the sense that the word of God is becoming rarer for us. Certainly people of my generation and below, very often we neglect the scriptures. We don't read them. We don't meditate on them don't consider them. We, we don't really think about living by them. The word of the Lord is becoming rare today, and it's not because God is not speaking. It's not because God has not given us his word. It's becoming rare today because we're, we're setting it down. We're setting it aside, and, and we're neglecting it. Folks, there are people throughout our world tonight, Christians, and there's not one single book of the Bible in their language. Oh, how they would long just to have one of the books of our 66 in their own tongue. It's rare in so much of the world, but it's not rare here. Folks, I want to encourage you tonight not to neglect God's Word. I want to encourage you tonight to, to realize just what a privilege it is to have it. I want to encourage you tonight to to get into it and and to read it and to meditate on it and to let it sink in. I don't know how to make you hungry for the Word. I can't do that. Only God by His Spirit can. And so maybe tonight if you're here and and you feel like, you know what, the the thought of reading the Bible, the thought of getting into that, oh boy, couldn't think of anything worse. If that's you tonight, pray and ask the Lord to give you a, a fresh hunger for this book. A fresh hunger for his word. Don't let the word of God be rare in your life as it was rare in the days of Samuel. Don't take it for granted. So we see that it was rare. The the next thing we see in this passage is that it was possible to, to hear God's word but not perceive it. Or it was possible to, to hear God's word but not really hear it, if you get the meaning. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You know, somebody's telling you something, you know, and, and you're listening. You know, you're, you're hearing the words that are coming out of their mouth. You're, you're getting those in your ears, but it's not sinking into your mind and it's not going into your heart to the point where you have to go, listen, I'm really sorry. I have no idea what you were saying. Got that experience? I think we all do. Maybe you've got it right now as you listen to me preach. <laughs> but, but, but we get that sometimes, don't we? We're hearing words. But we're not getting it here, and we're not getting it here. We're hearing, but we're not hearing. 
And that's exactly what happens next, isn't it? In verses 2 to 10. So we've got Eli and uh, his eyesight's got really bad. Uh, and he couldn't see, and he's lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. What that means is it's nighttime. They lit the lamp at nighttime, and it was lit during the night. And then in the morning, the lamp went out, and it was morning time. Time to get up and get the, 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 the tabernacle in the ship shape ready for the day's worship. And so it's nighttime, and, and he's lying down. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord, so it's God speaking here. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down again. And then it happens again and again and again. Now Samuel, he's hearing, isn't he? He's hearing the words being said. Samuel, he hears that. But yet he doesn't perceive who's speaking. He hears it, yet he doesn't perceive who is speaking. He doesn't perceive that it's God speaking. He hears the word, but, but that doesn't come into his mind. That doesn't resonate in his heart. He doesn't get that this is the Lord. And folks, I think that we can also fall into that trap. I think we can relate to Samuel here, can't we? As Presbyterians, we're very proud to say, this is the word of the Lord. We say that, don't we? This is the word of the Lord, and, and we say that. But here's a question, whenever we read it, do we really think that? Do we really believe that? Do we really perceive that, that these words, it's not just a book, it's not just a collection of stories. This is the word of God that he wants to say to us. Is that how we approach the scriptures? As the word of God? Or do yes, we do. Of course, we say that we're Presbyterians. But do we really? Do we approach this as it is, as God's actual living word to us? And what about whenever we come to church on a Sunday? Whenever we come to, to hear sermons? I hope you've noticed. Um, I try every single Sunday morning and evening to lead us in praying before the sermon. And hopefully you've noticed uh, it should be repetitive should be repeating it every week. Hopefully you're getting it into your mind, what I'm asking us to pray for. And that's that God would speak to us. It's that God would, would take his written word and as it's preached, that, that he would take his spirit and his word and, and really speak to us that we get it, that, that we're changed, that we're transformed, that, that he does something in our hearts and lives and minds. That, that's what I pray. That's what I lead us in praying for every single Sunday. You see, that's because whenever, whenever the word of God is rightly preached, the voice of God is heard. And what I want to ask you tonight is this. Whenever you come to church on a Sunday, do you come expecting to hear from God? Do you come expecting for him to, to speak to you through his word and by your spirit? Do you do that? Is that your expectation? 
sometimes I think we can come to church and we don't expect very much. We come to church and what we expect is to read some part of the Bible and then to close it and then to listen to some guy talk and then have some small talk and go home. What I want to encourage you to do, folks, is to come to church expecting to hear from God. I want to encourage you to to come to church having prayed before coming that, that God would actually speak to you, that you would not just hear his words, but hear his words, if you get me. That you'd really perceive what he's saying, that you'd really get what he's saying to you. Ask him to open your minds. Ask him to open your hearts. Ask him to speak through his word. Uh, one of the things I just want to also encourage you about this, and, and this was really helpful for me. Um, I'm one of these people, and it sometimes takes a little while, you know, for the penny to drop. I don't know if you're like that. So, sometimes it takes me to hear things a few times before the penny actually kind of drops. Uh, and sometimes I think to myself, you know, what if I missed something in that sermon? Or, or what if I, you know, what if I was listening? Or, or what if God has been trying to say something to me through my daily Bible reading and I haven't got it? You know, what's going to happen here? Well, what's going to happen is that God is going to say it until I get it. And that's what he does to Samuel, isn't it? He says it once and Samuel doesn't have a clue. And he says it again and Samuel does not have a clue. And he says it again and Samuel doesn't have a clue. And then someone says, hey, hey, have you, have you considered it might be God speaking to you? Tell you what to say. Say, Lord, here I am. And then he hears it again, and he perceives that it's the Lord. And I just want to encourage you that, that the Lord is very gracious with us, and he's very patient with us. And he might say something to us over and over and over and over again until the penny drops. And can I just say, maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you've been hearing the same thing over and over and over again. Maybe you've been reading your Bible at home and, and something has been there and then you've heard a sermon in church and it's been there and then you've maybe picked up a conversation with a friend and they've talked about that Bible passage. I don't know what it is. But can I just say, if you're hearing something from the Scriptures over and over and over and over and over again, God's probably trying to tell you something. And I want to encourage you not, not to ignore that, even if it's hard, even if it's a challenging thing. Don't ignore it. God's being patient and he's being persistent. And he's letting you know what he wants to say to you. The, the next thing we see then in this passage and, is that it's inspired, the inspiration of God's word. Um, that word inspired, it's a, it's a funny wee word. Whenever we think of something being inspired, you know, if something's inspired, we think of it being kind of a motivation, you know? So, you know, that really inspired me to, to get out and run. You know, watching that, it really inspired me. And, you know, it's this idea of motivation. Or it could be a, a sign of encouragement. You know, oh, you're, you're singing tonight. It really inspired me. But one of the things we find out about the Bible is that it is inspired, but it doesn't mean that it's encouraging, even though it is. And it doesn't mean it's motivating, even though it does motivate it. What inspired means is that it is breathed out by God. Scripture is breathed out by God. What we have in, in this book, in the Old and the New Testament, it has been breathed out by God. We see that in 2 Timothy 3.16. If you have a look there, you see that. All Scripture is inspired or breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
And then you have Peter writing in the book of Second Peter, and he says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, so nothing you've got in this book, came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we see in our passage, isn't it? We see God speaking to Samuel. And then what we're going to see is Samuel speaking what God has said to Eli. So you see that there. Have a look with me at verses 11 to 14. Then the Lord said to Samuel, so it's God speaking to this prophet, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering forever. You see that the message that Samuel's going to pass on, it's, it's not his own ideas. Samuel is not kind of going, listen, I wonder what, you know, I wonder what God wants to say to Eli. Eh, you know, uh, well sure, I'll just think of something to tell him. That's not how a prophet worked. A prophet received the word from God by the Holy Spirit, the exact things that God wanted to say, the prophet received. And then he spoke them. Or he wrote them down. Folks, what I really want to encourage you tonight is that everything in here, God has in here for a reason. Everything in here, God has put it in here for a reason. And there may be, might be parts of this Bible that you don't like. There, there might be parts of this Bible that you feel uncomfortable with. There might be parts of this Bible that if you had your own way, you might do like Thomas Jefferson did and, and just cut them out and make your own little Bible of your own liking, which doesn't have the parts you don't like in it. That's what he did, the Jefferson Bible. But folks, everything in here is from God. Everything in here is breathed out by him nothing in here that shouldn't be in here. Everything that God wants to say to us is in this book. And folks, what I want to encourage you with that is that, that even whenever you get to the parts that you find hard or you get to the parts that you don't understand or you get to the parts that you, you don't find comfortable, what I want to encourage you to do is not to just ignore them. Don't just pass them over. But instead, read them and, and think about them and ask the Lord this question, God, what are you saying and why are you saying it? What exactly are you saying through this part of the Bible and, and why are you saying that? All Scripture is inspired. It's breathed out by God. It's not just come from some random guys who had ideas about God and jotted them down. People got a bit carried away. No, that's not what it is. All of it has been breathed out by God. And the next thing we see, and I'm sorry this is a little bit, uh, well, it's a bit listy tonight, isn't it? It's a little bit, uh, sorry if you're a little bit bored, but um, so, yeah, we'll just move on to the next thing. The next thing is the speaking of God's word, and that's what we see 
in 15 to 17. And it's really interesting because I, I can really relate to Samuel in verse 15. You know, so you've had verses uh, 11 to 14, and, and what God has said to Samuel is, listen, the message is that Eli and his sons are going to be destroyed because Eli didn't stop them from blaspheming God. What a message to have to deliver. It's not an easy one, is it? I mean, talk about getting Samuel off in the deep end. Listen, the first message you've got to deliver, well, it's one of judgment. Away you go there. And so what does Samuel do? I like this in the morning. He just lies in bed for as long as he can. He just puts it off. Samuel lay until morning. And then what does he do? Well, he gets up and instead of going in to speak to Eli, which he might have done, what does he do? No, he just gets on with the work. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And what does it say? And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. God's word is meant to be spoken. It's meant to be preached. Even the most difficult parts are meant to be shared. It's meant to be communicated to people. And and I can really relate to Samuel because he's afraid to tell Eli the vision. And that's the truth, isn't it? If we're really going to share all of God's word, if we're really going to say everything that God has said, if we're going to share that with other people, then there's bits that can be a little bit scary to share. But yet it does have to be spoken. It does have to be said. And it's really interesting because, again, Samuel doesn't kind of go to Eli and volunteer it. What happens here is that Eli calls him. You see, Eli knows that it is God who's been speaking to Samuel. And so look at that, verse 16. So there he is going about his business, verse 16. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And he said, Eli, and, and Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. And then verse 18. So Samuel told him everything, everything that God had said, he told him. And he hid nothing from him. He didn't skip over the hard bits. He hid nothing from Eli. And what was Eli's response? It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. God's word is is a word that must be shared. Nothing from it should be hidden. Nothing from it should be ignored. And whilst that is very scary to do that, whilst it can be frightening sometimes, worrying about the reaction of people mainly, we're never to shy away from that. We're never to shy away from that because God's word is something that is to be shared. And and when we share it with people, it, it does its work in people's lives. I don't know about you, but I'm always very pleased when someone shares God's word with me. I'm pleased whenever they see something in God's word that they think I need to hear. Sometimes it can be a word of encouragement and I'm really pleased when I get a word of encouragement from the Bible when, when someone says to me, do you want, I was reading this and I, I wanted to share it with you to encourage you. But likewise, there's something great about receiving a word of correction. Whenever someone has actually been reading the scriptures and they've maybe been convicted themselves and and they've maybe been mulling something over themselves and and maybe they recognize that you're in the same boat as them. And so they share their their story, but they share that word with you and it it corrects you and it it humbles you and it brings you to your knees and it, 
and it challenges you to change. Folks, I just want to say tonight that there is a place for sharing God's word with one another. It's brilliant. I have this brilliant privilege of standing up and getting to share it with you. But what I want you to see tonight amongst yourselves is that there is a ministry among each other to share God's word with one another. There's a ministry within the church family to be, to be sharing the word of God with one another. And I want to encourage you to, to do that. If you're reading the scriptures, I, I have a little Bible reading uh, kind of grid that I use sometimes to read the Bible and it has different kind of symbols. So, you know, pointing up, what does it tell me about God? Pointing down, what does it tell me about myself? Pointing to the side, what does it tell me I've got to do? A light bulb, what stands out? But one of the little symbols is a little kind of speech bubble. And it's, who, who can I share this with? Who, who maybe needs to hear this, that, that, that God has spoken to me today? Who else might need to hear this? God's word is to be, to be shared. And I really want to encourage you to be people who are not just reading the Bible for yourselves, but also sharing it with one another, to encourage each other and build one another up. And maybe at times rebuking and correcting one another. But, but just to put a little caveat out there, <laughs> you need to know each other. can't just go and rebuke someone and correct them who you don't know and who you don't have a, a loving relationship with. We must rebuke and correct each other in love, not in judgment, not in condemnation, but in brotherly and sisterly love. But I want to encourage you to, to be people who are not just reading the word and studying it and getting into it, but, but people who are also sharing it with one another. The, the next thing we see then is the, the certainty of God's word. There's so much, so much attack on the Bible these days. Oh, you don't believe that. I mean, if you're a university student here, you know all about it. You know all about it. You you say you believe the scriptures and your your mates will kind of snigger some of them. You believe that nonsense? How do you believe that? But one of the things that we see in this passage is that there is certainty of God's word, that God's word is certain, it is sure, it is steadfast, it is absolutely true. And we see that in verse 19 because this was one of the tests for all of the prophets who ever wrote a book of the Bible. Verse 19, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That was a test of a prophet. To have your book in the Bible, you had to be known as someone who the Lord let none of your words fall to the ground. That everything you predicted and everything you said and every promise you made that God was going to do, it had to be fulfilled before you could be classed as a prophet. And folks, I just want to encourage you tonight that, that God's word is certain. The promises he, he makes in it, you can trust. The things that he says in it, you can believe. I'm going to go a bit quicker because we're way later than I anticipated to be. Let me just quickly finish off with the last two things. Um, whenever I was, uh, I don't think I was a Christian at this stage, but I'd had some kind of uh, dealings with the Bible. And uh, I remember trying to get an idea of, you know, what's this book all about? And I remember coming across a little thing, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And I read that, and I thought, that sounds quite good. And so it was interesting, because then I looked at the Bible, and, and what I looked at it was an instruction manual for life. You know, So I was reading it, just trying to find out instructions. Or if I was looking at it, oh, how does it instruct me for life? That was, that was one way I looked at the Bible. 
And, and I looked at it like a personal guide. That really what God had done was he, he'd given me, me this book to give me instructions and a guide to life and to give me nice things to read when I'm feeling down and to be a bit of a therapist for me at times too. But you know what? This book is not primarily to do that. God's word is not primarily written for us to give us instructions. It does, but it's not primarily written to do that. It's not written just to encourage us, even though it does. It's not primarily written to do that. No, what God's word is primarily written to do, the, the main job of it is to reveal himself to us through it. I have a friend, and uh, he writes books. And uh, he's toying with the idea, he never did. He was toying with the idea of writing a book called The Bible's Not About You, Stupid, which I thought was a bit harsh. But the point is that the Bible is not primarily about us. The Bible is primarily about God revealing himself to us. And again, we see that, don't we? In verse 21, have a look there. It's the last one of chapter three. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. And look, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. He revealed himself. Folks, there are people and and they wonder what God is like and they have crazy ideas of what he's like. Maybe you're here tonight and you're wondering, what's God like? We, we can know what he's like. Because that's what this was given us to do. To show us his character, to show us his values, to show us his personality, to show us what he's like. And again, I just want to encourage you as you read your Bible, to read it with, with glasses on, looking for what it tells you about God, not just about yourself or your circumstances or your problems. What does it tell you about God? And how does that help you in your life? Let it reveal God to you. I'll move on to the very last thing and I'll make it dead, dead short. The last thing that we see is the life-givingness of God's word. They'd been through the period of the judges, that tragic period in Israel's history. It was horrible. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But you see here, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 4, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now it says the word of Samuel, but we know it wasn't Samuel's words. It was God's word through Samuel. And suddenly from this man, God's word suddenly went out to the people of God. And what we're going to see is that this was the turning point in Israel's history. That as they came back to the Word of God and as they started to live under the Word of God and study the Word of God and that there was a hunger for the Word of God, there was this wonderful new thing God did in Israel. This renewing of their life as individuals and as a community. Now, folks, I just want to encourage you that this is what the Word of the Lord does. Do you remember the, the psalm I read at the start? What did it do? It refreshes the soul. God's word is is the thing that will bring life-givingness. That's not even a word. I made that one up. I'm quite pleased with it. It brings life. It brings renewal. It brings new vibrancy. It brings new health. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you are here and you feel like you could do with a bit of a recharge as a Christian, you feel like you're just a bit lifeless and you're lethargic in your faith and you're, you're just feeling like you're, I don't know, just, well, we all know that feeling, don't we? 
My guess is it's, well, maybe because you're not actually getting into the Word. Or you're getting into it, but you're getting into that legalistic, got to tick it off the box thing rather than getting into it to hear from God. Folks, if you're feeling dead tonight in your faith, if you're feeling lethargic, if you feel like you need a new zeal and a new energy, then I want to encourage you to, to take God's Word, to get into it and let it get into you because it's life-giving. You probably noticed that over the past 14 months at Ravenhill, we've tried to make the Word of God central to Sundays. We've tried to make it the, the, the main thing we're doing. We've tried to give it time. We, we've tried to spend time looking at it, reading it. I'm trying my best to preach it. Sometimes the sermons are a bit long. Um, but why, am I, why are we doing that? We're doing that because this is how God renews the church. And this is how God revives our souls. And this is how God gives renewed vigor and renewed life and renewed energy through his word. And please ask you to, to pray for me as I preach. Pray for me as I study. Pray for John as he preaches and studies. And, and would you just pray that God would bring renewal, renewal in this church, renewal in this community as we teach the word and, and preach the word and share the word. Let's pray and thank God for his word. Father, we do thank you. We, we thank you so much for, for giving us your word in our language and in our hand. Lord, may we treasure it. May we prize it. May we read it. And Lord, as we do, would you revive us and renew us and give us a newness of life and energy and joy in the Lord Jesus and in our salvation and in you, Lord. Father, thank you that there does appear to be a hunger within our congregation for the word. But Lord, we pray for a deeper hunger. And Lord, make us into a people who will share the word with one another and encourage each other through it. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And may, Lord, it resonate not just in our heads, but in our hearts to the point where it transforms our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.